Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And it's another wild week in the political world. We got primary elections, particularly, particularly from Georgia. The Senate primary, the Republican Senate primary, is still not settled in Pennsylvania. That is looks like it's going to a recount. That's going to take uh, a week or two as well as probably a million dollars on on behalf of the Pennsylvania taxpayers and all kinds of things going on. But first, I want to start off with something I consider to be particularly insidious and of concern to the Jewish community. You should be concerned by it, which is this attack that continues to go now, um, which was, I think, termed uh, termed appropriately uh, this past week by Mark Goldfeder of the National Jewish Advocacy Center. And he talked about the acceptable anti-Semitism. And what is the acceptable, the latest acceptable anti-Semitism? We, of course, see it all the time. We see the anti-Israel. We see the anti, uh, the anti-Zionism. Uh, we see what's going on in college campuses. We see the pro-BDS. We see all this movement to delegitimize pro-Israel voices, but now we see an effort to delegitimize pro-Israel political activity here in the U.S. And what's going on? The far left, the far left, it could be on the far right. You never know. I mean, we actually saw this a little bit, a little smidgen of this on the far right with Tom Massey in Kentucky, not this necessarily this cycle, although Tom Massey, a Kentucky congressman who is kind of famously not pro-Israel, uh, I would say that, uh, has has kind of made an issue of not funding Israel, says it under the idea he's against all foreign aid, and you know has done things really to antagonize the pro-Israel community, as well as the Jewish community, uh, kind of like his colleague, Rand Paul, though, you know, there are a lot of people in the community who seem to feel that Rand Paul is a pro-Israel, in the pro-Israel camp, uh, certainly not when you hold up resupply of Iron Dome missiles. So I just want to call it, as I see him, it doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, if you feel somehow that the security and safety of the state of Israel is not in the American interest, which seems to be something that uh, top that Massey, that Tom Massey and Rand Paul seem to have forgotten, then can call you out for that. Uh, you know, there are others on the far right anti-isolationist, but what is going on now on the far left in the progressive circles, particularly since the pro-Israel community uh, and APAC itself have now engaged themselves in politics, in actual political funding and actual endorsements through a, a super PAC, as well as direct endorsements and negotiations. There's been this pushback from Justice Democrats, from others who seem to want to delegitimize the idea that the pro-Israel community should be engaged in political activity, just like every other group in America that wants to play in politics should have the opportunity to engage in political activity, just like the Justice Democrats and just like Move On and all these other organizations. And nobody questions their right to get involved. Nobody questions the union's right to get involved. Nobody questions the teachers' union, the teachers, the auto workers, everybody else who wants to go ahead and get involved, whether you're pro-life, you're pro-choice, you're pro-gun, you're anti-gun. And we'll have to get to that in a couple minutes. But this is the first, first 
time that, you know, APAC, the, the big devil over there on the pro-Israel community, which is this idea that APAC, of course, that a lot on the left have is this Republican organization. Uh, if you've been to APAC events, you certainly don't get that sense. They bend over backwards to uh, talk about bipartisanship. But somehow now being pro-Israel is part of a is part of this pro is part of this not in American interest type of thing, right? We serve a foreign, and that's always been the that's always been their attack on APAC is that we they serve a foreign master, and that's been you know, the attack from both the left and the right. And you have a this canard going on out there. On the part of multiple, multiple uh, sources on the left now engaging essentially in an attempt to marginalize Democratic Majority for Israel, which is not affiliated with APAC. Also, this United Democracy Project, which is a super PAC, which has now been engaged in Democratic primaries on behalf of pro-Israel candidates, those who are not so pro-Israel. And of course, you know, you have some participation from J Street, but not the worst stuff. And the worst stuff is really coming from, you have this tweet from Marianne Williamson. If you remember her, she was and also ran uh, ran for the Democratic nomination for president last time around. I, one of those strange candidacies. And she tweets uh, back on May 18th, at a time when global anti-Semitism, including America as a growing threat, APAC, and Democratic majority for Israel are throwing gasoline on the fire. They do not represent the views of anywhere near the majority of American Jews and their disgusting attempts to defeat candidates not in line with their right-wing policies regarding Israel are bad for Israel, bad for America, bad for democracy, and bad for the Jews. Now, there are a couple things that are fine in there. There are a couple things. You want to argue that they represent policies that are bad for America. That's legitimate. That they are bad for Israel. Okay, you could say that. And I don't know why, as an American politician, you want to, to, you could say bad for America, bad for Israel. That's not different. That's a different discussion. But bad for the Jews, like, why, why are you wading into this idea that somehow you're so patronizing that you know what is good or bad for the Jews, in a sense? And even if a minority of Jews feel a certain way towards Israel, and they'd say the majority don't feel a certain way towards Israel, isn't it the right of the minority of some groups of Jews to go ahead and advocate for the things that they want to advocate for towards the American government and towards their elected officials? Who said that the majority of Jews need to vote and need to? decide what all Jews should think. And I would posit that the majority of affiliated Jews and the majority of those involved and care, you know, about engaged in the Jewish community are in fact pro-Israel, but that really doesn't matter because it's not really for Marianne Williamson to decide how the Jews should think and how they should advocate and what they should say to their government and how they should be engaged in the political process. And it is just bizarre that We've had this before. We had this in the Obama administration, that somehow the Obama administration took it upon itself to determine as at, against the Israeli government what should be best for Israel. Because we know, we know, and this has long time been this progressive idea that we need to save Israel from itself. We need to save Israel. We need to save the Jews from themselves because they make all these wrongheaded decisions. So now we have a situation in a very interesting Democratic primary in Michigan. In Michigan. And why is this so interesting? You have a candidate, Andy Levin, who is who chose 
who was redistricted, and they put two sitting Congress uh, people in the same district. Now, Andy Levin chose to take a to choose to run in a more Democratic district against his colleague Hallie Stevens. And Andy Levin is the son, as well as the nephew of two longtime pro-Israel Michigan stalwarts, Carl Levin and Sander Levin, who was Congressman Carl Levin, the senator, his his nephew. Sander Levin, the his father, and Levin, Andy Levin, has been a progressive. He's been friends with Rashida Tlaib, who is a neighbor in Congress, and has gone out of his way as a Jewish representative to defend the squad and to defend their attacks on Israel. And so Stevens, Howie Stevens, who is not Jewish in this uh, in this district, Michigan's 11th congressional district, which is a very uh, Jewish district, and they are together. Now, Levin out there is criticizing Stevens for taking money from APAC tied PACs, APAC tied money. And what's the criticism? Not necessarily that the same criticism that we see, that we're seeing elsewhere on the left, but the criticism that she is leveling at Levin is that you took money, and we're seeing this elsewhere, that you took money from APAC that also supports Republicans who did voted not to certify the presidential election in 2020. Okay, legitimate. You don't want to take money from Republicans who did voted to certify. But what exactly does one have to do with the other? Okay, there are plenty of groups out there in politics that have chosen to give money to those who who voted not to certify the election on January 6th. I happen to think, even as a Republican, that that was a wrong decision. There are a number of reasons that they did that. Mostly a protest. Many of them are protests, some of them legitimately. Crazily enough, they actually think, still think to this day that Donald Trump won the election. I do not. Uh, at least it's never been proven to me otherwise, and there's no evidence to suggest otherwise. But we'll leave that aside. The idea that somehow that you cannot take money from a source that also endorsed somebody else because you are against democracy, as Levin said in a you know, insurrectionist money. Well, guess what? Levin also took insurrectionist money. He also took corporate PAC money. And now Levin all of a sudden says from, from corporations. And and he says now he's going to give it back. But to level this at specifically at the pro-Israel groups that they are uniquely somehow responsible for undermining democracy by giving and endorsing money to to certain Republicans because they are tummy, because they are toxic and you shouldn't have anything to do with them. Well, guess what? That's a lot of members of Congress. And we don't necessarily alienate our friends because we don't agree with them 100% of the time. We can actually disagree with people on some very substantial issues, but they can still be our friends if they agree with us on most issues. It's the old Ed Koch thing. If you if you agree with me politically 100% of the time, you should go see a therapist. And I think I'm paraphrasing on that one, but we can get the but you get the gist of it. And that is what is going on so much so that Chris Hayes Chris Hayes, all in with Chris Hayes. This is his MSNBC show. Uh, on May 20th, he devoted six minutes of his show, how a pro-Israel lobby group spent millions to sway Democratic primaries. 
So we are now in the idea that we should not be, these groups should not be spending money on Democratic primaries, this United Democracy Project, because they spent money on a Pittsburgh area race uh, against a progressive in support of somebody who was not, was not the, I mean, Summer Lee ended up winning this primary, I believe. I think that's the final, although it was extremely close, extremely close. She ran against the establishment, the Democratic establishment in uh, in Pennsylvania. So Summer Lee ran against attorney Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin had the bulk of the establishment support. He had the bulk of he had the bulk of endorsements. And Summer Lee ran a good progressive campaign. It seems like uh, Irwin has finally has conceded, and they ran ads against her. Two point three million dollars. And now Chris Hayes was it was absolutely apoplectic about this. He decided that this is this is terrible. Can you imagine? a pro-Israel group getting involved. And what did they do? Similar to what they had done in a Cleveland area race where they won, uh, which was Nina Turner and Chantel Brown. They came in on behalf of Chantel Brown. They talked about the fact that Summer Lee, and this is a Democratic primary, had been very critical of Joe Biden, of President Biden, and she voted against the infrastructure bill. And somehow that's wrong to point out people's votes because they should have been nakedly transparent that they are pro-Israel. Well, guess what? Every single person who runs ads out there they don't necessarily say this is you you must follow this script we are we need to d- be only about the issue that we are specifically organized around meaning that if you are the carpenters union uh or let's say the teachers union you can only run an ad a on behalf of education issues, you can't run an ad on everything else, as opposed to, let's say, all the groups on the left that right now are running ads about abortion. Now, they should only be an abortion group in order to do that, or around gun control. You can criticize people on other issues, but according to Chris Hayes, you really cannot. And it seems to be that this is something that is directly, directly targeted about the Jewish community and the pro-Israel community for doing that. And it's And we see... On the front page of the New York Times, I think it was last weekend, Bernie Sanders out there declaring war on APAC, declaring war on pro-Israel money because he's finally had enough about all this money in politics. He doesn't want to take money out on the left, and we know that the dark money groups on the left spent far more money in 2020 than did the groups on the right. He has no issue with that. He has issue with the pro-Israel money coming in to go ahead and support pro-Israel candidates. And yes, they run negative ads against those that are progressive who are seem to be not pro-Israel. That seems to be a tremendous crime on the left right now, which I find even more interesting, of course, even more interesting is this back to Marianne Williamson is this idea that she feels that this money is responsible for anti-Semitism. Somehow she has arrogated for herself this idea that she knows what's best for the Jews. And if you get involved, too involved, don't get too involved in politics. Don't stand up for your rights. Don't give yourself a voice because if you do, there will be blowback on you and you are out there going and contributing to anti-Semitism. So as I said, six minutes on MSNBC that Hayes, talk, that Hayes talked about this. Now, Hayes, of course, doesn't talk about his own affiliation with the left. And the fact is that he has, um, I believe, uh, a sibling who is involved in was involved in the either in the race or involved um um involved with justice democrats that supported lee that of course is not 
is not um, – that, of course, is not disclosed. But either way, that doesn't really matter. This idea that somehow, you know, to, to use a Talmudic phrase, uh, to use a Jewish phrase that this money should be puzzle, that these people should be puzzle, that we should take this out of politics is itself offensive. That itself is immoral to say that Jews and the pro-Israel community should not have a voice in politics, or if they should, they should do it differently than everybody else, that somehow this itself contributes to anti-Semitism. Well, in fact, this itself is anti-Semitic. Once again, holding Jews and Israel to a different standard than everybody else is itself anti-Semitic. Let's talk about the tragedy of shootings. And and I just want to make a quick comment. I don't know. I'm not an expert in control. I'm not an expert in abortion. I don't even want to get into the politics of the two, but I do think that we need to take pause and we need to ask ourselves where most Americans are. And if you're Republicans and you're Democrats, and it's the same way on the abortion issue. And I think that that has been out there percolating for several weeks since we had that leak of the Supreme Court opinion, not a decision, but the opinion. You know, where is most of the country? Most of the country is in the middle here. Most of the country wants common sense gun control. They don't want to confiscate guns. They don't want to take guns away from everybody. They don't want what New York did with these draconian rules. They want some kind of common sense gun control, that you should have a background check, that you should have a red flag law. If somebody is mentally ill, they should not be able to get a gun. The same way if they have if and if there are suspicions, they don't should not get a gun. And they should, the police and the judges should be able to get that. We need tracing. We need people to know that if a gun is used, that they can be they can trace it. That is, you know, something sensible. Like Israel, there's lots of guns around, but it is don't you don't have the same level of violence because the people that have them are generally responsible, are responsible, are responsible people. And that's what we need here. We don't need that. I have no issue with people having guns, the people who should have guns. And I think that similarly, you know, those on, on the left, they want to basically take all the guns away. And it is too much for a lot of people. Don't think about the fact that pe- many, much of America, much of America, not the majority, much of America lives in rural areas and places where the police aren't around and you can't just call for somebody to come. Guns are there for protection. Guns are there for their livelihood, meaning farming and ranching, etc. And you can't just say, we're going to take them all away. Even in New York State, there are areas like that that exist. And when you make this one size fits all for everybody and you take legally owned guns away and you threaten to do that, that is going to provoke a reaction to much of the for much of the country. And somewhere we need to find a middle ground. Similarly, that most Americans believe in some restrictions on abortion. And it seems that the left can't seem to understand why the there will be a reaction to people having to allowing unrestricted, unfettered abortion up until the moment of birth. I know that okay, as AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has arrogated once again for herself this idea that she knows how the Jewish community feels about abortion. She said it outright that the Jewish community out there um, is, uh, you know, is pro-choice entirely, or actually, I mean, she may have said even pro-abortion. We are certainly not, uh, but we are certainly not 
in at least halakhically and traditionally where the pro-life movement is and where some in the Republican Party are banning all abortion entirely in all circumstances. So once again, we fall into the middle, as do most of the American people, and we fall into the middle. Unfortunately, politics right now is a battle on the sides, is a battle on the extremes, and that really prevents, unfortunately, common sense legislation, common sense laws to be passed in order to solve the problems out there. So let's talk about Tuesday and what happened. We had primary day once again, Alabama and Georgia. Georgia, obviously the big focus because once again, a Republican governor, similar to what happened in Idaho last week and Nebraska the week before, a Republican governor in the governor's race uh, has succeeded and won a primary. And in this case, Brian Kemp quite decisively, I mean, very decisively, absolutely trounced David Perdue, the Trump-backed candidate, uh, despite not having the favor of President Trump. So we saw that last week in Idaho, not as big a watched race where Brad Little defeated his lieutenant governor, who was backed by Trump. But in this case, this was like a marquee race that the Trump pack actually put a couple hundred thousand dollars into this. And President Trump made Brian Kemp, the governor, the sitting governor, a object of scorn. And the the what I'd actually like to look at for a second if to show in a sense that you know anything can happen this idea that you know well we go back a couple weeks okay we give president trump credit obviously for getting jd vance elected uh as the nominee in ohio that was a multi-candidate race and J.D. Vance got 30% or 32% and outran the field and won a lot of the counties in Ohio. Definitely decisive win, definitely from my perspective, a result of his endorsement and the late endorsement from President Trump, which took the air into the sales of several other candidates who also wanted to be, uh, who wanted the endorsement of President Trump. The only candidate who didn't want the endorsement from President Trump was uh, State Senator Dolan, who I think ended up right around 20%. Now, if you add that all up, obviously the pro-Trump wing of the party. But here we have a conservative governor who absolutely positively trounced close to 70% of the vote, won every county in the state of Georgia. It wasn't as if in the pro-Trump the, – that the areas that voted for Marjorie Taylor Greene in the northwest part of the state, which she got uh, – she also won decisively in her primary. Those people also went ahead and voted for Brian Kemp. So what is going on? If you want to see the Trumpiest parts, the Marjorie Taylor Greene voters, somehow they still voted – for Kemp, but also the undercard. Remember Brad Raffensperger. We haven't heard that name in quite some time. The Secretary of State race. This is the gentleman who certified the election, who taped President Trump, uh, then leaked it to the Washington Post or uh, leaked. I mean, they, they taped it and said, you know, just or the Wall Street Journal, whatever it was, said that, you know, just find me 11,800, whatever it was, votes. And that was... Uh, well, the rest is history. And Raffensperger was savaged by Trump, and I think his life was threatened. He had to have a security guard around him. Everybody accused him of of being a part of the steal the election movement, et cetera. Republicans were supposed to be so angry at him that they would throw him out of office. Well, he won, and not just a little bit. He won with more than 50% of the vote against the sitting congressman, Jody Heiss, and avoided a runoff in – now, that's – why is that interesting? Avoided a runoff in Georgia. Why is that interesting? Of course, because the undercard is usually the person, the 
voters have the least information about. They don't necessarily go there and say, hey, who am I voting for for Secretary of State? I know who I'm going to, going to go out and vote for governor. And then the undercard, I look at all the other races and I usually say, eh, have I heard anything about them? So a lot of voters in Republican voters in Georgia probably said to themselves, oh, I know this guy Raffensperger. He's the guy who put Trump out of office. But somehow, somehow Raffensperger uh, managed to survive, I guess, because voters really are not Republican voters are looking towards 2022 and not towards 2020 anymore. I wonder how much in the way of legs the Stop the Steal crowd really still has to sway elections. And we saw a similar thing now in Alabama. That will also head to a runoff. In Alabama, you have the Senate primary. Mo Brooks was the Trump favorite congressman, Mo Brooks, from the northern part of the state. Ran against Katie Britt and another... uh, a third candidate in the race who at one time was up, a former uh, army guy, I forget the name. But uh, it was a, this was a three, essentially three-way race. Trump had endorsed Brooks, thought Brooks was going to be the guy, the Trumpiest guy. He Brooks, remember, appeared at the January 6th rally and seemed to have insinuated that violence was a good idea. Let's kick and uh, and take names, kind of the idea of like, you know, let's, let's fight. And... Um, you know, who knows what, what Brooks was going. There's, he wants They want to testify before the January 6th committee. Now, Brooks, uh, what again, Trump undid his endorsement of Brooks because he was running in third place while Brooks met, managed to get into second place. And there will be a, a runoff between the two. Now, who was the Trumpiest? It's hard. Brooks never really lost his Trumpiness, so it's hard to say. Alabama's a pretty Trumpy state. And I only bring this up because the Republican Party, of course, is a not, I mean, I know that the left likes to say it's about one person, it's about one man, and that's all that matters. But clearly, that's not the case. There are other figures out there, particularly Brian Kemp in Georgia. You had multiple Republican personalities. Uh, Mike Pence, very interestingly, went to Georgia to campaign with Kemp, a, a huge break from Trump. You had Chris Christie, you had others went out there to campaign with him. Doug Ducey from Arizona was kind of all the people who have alienated Trump over the last couple months or last years since he was out of office have showed up in order to support Brian Kemp. Now, of course, we have more big primaries coming on with, you know, vis a vis the Trump and anti Trump camps in the Republican Party, Liz Cheney in August, as well as uh, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, also coming in office. So we will see this story is not yet written as what happens now. But Brian Kemp absolutely, absolutely annihilated David Perdue, a former senator. If you remember, you know, as we know, David Perdue was in those runoffs. And this was not easy. This is not an easy race. So it tells you something about the electorate. Whether they want to move on or not, I mean, you can do your own interpretation. But in this case, there's no question that those that's, that didn't go along with Trump in Georgia, and that was the state he certainly needed and was willing to make that phone call of, I need the 11,000 votes, they managed to win and win decisively this past Tuesday. Definitely noteworthy, definitely worth thinking about. And we are out of time here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week. 